Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joel Craft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Sheagle Live Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Thursday evening, where we continue our reflections into uh, the reading that we will be hearing on Sunday, that is the Gospel. Now, uh, this week, what I wanted to do was also read the first reading. I just thought, you know, while we don't have that much time Reading this reading was uh, quite important to get the message across that I wanted to get across this evening, and uh, I will be flying solo, so if you have any questions, please don't hesitate to send me an email at j-h-o-l-l-j-m-j at yahoo.com, or you can just go to my website at joeholcraft.org, hit the contact link button there, and send your message, question, observation, whatever it might be, on its way. Now, speaking of questions... I was asked to comment um, on the passage that comes to us from 1 Corinthians 11, uh, verses 17 and following. 1 Corinthians 11, 17 and following, really gets into the liturgical abuses. And you have heard me talk about this passage even recently, because uh, you do have the institution of the Eucharist being treated by Paul there. So what I thought we could do is, before we get into reading one in the gospel for the 18th Sunday in ordinary times. I thought we could uh, touch upon this at least briefly so I can respond to the question, which more or less was just, please react to it. Now, what was going on in the Church of Corinth during this time? The Corinthians must have gathered to eat a common meal before celebrating the Eucharist. Although this preliminary meal was meant to promote fellowship. It became a source of tension and ultimately disunity between rich and poor Christians that extended into the liturgy. Now, as commentaries reflect, there are several factors that put this crisis into context. First, we can say that since early Christian gatherings took place not in church buildings but in available homes, seating arrangements could reinforce the distinction of social rank among believers. I don't know if we would necessarily be thinking about this when we read a scripture, but it's important to be a sensitive and in tuned with the historical context of sacred scripture. So, with this social rank, you had the wealthy eating together and the poor excluded from their company. A second factor would be that the meal itself could accentuate division if the rich brought healthy portions of food for themselves, right? Leaving ultimately what was ever left for the poor and not sharing with them at all. Uh, Lastly, we could say a factor that would contribute to some of their liturgical abuses was that wealthy persons would have the leisure to arrive early and enjoy their food, while laborers and slaves would have to fulfill their duties before attending. So there's all of these uh, things going on. Whatever the precise circumstances were, acts of discrimination in the Church of Corinth certainly contradicted the very purpose of these gatherings. So you have Paul addressing 
uh, and condemning <laughs> these gatherings. And we'll pick it up in verse 23, where we read, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also the chalice after supper, saying, This chalice is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the chalice, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. He goes on. Whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of profaning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a man examine himself, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment upon himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we should not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are chastened so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So what's going on here? Well, Paul is aware of the liturgical abuses, right? So what does he say? Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of profaning the body and blood of the Lord. Okay, so what does he mean by unworthy manner? Well, receiving Eucharistic communion can be an act of sacrilege and self-condemnation if done in a state of serious mortal sin. For Paul, to sin against the body and blood in this way is to be liable for the Lord's violent death. And so you have Paul writing the offenders in Corinth who have incurred this guilt by overeating, drunkenness, and even discrimination against the poor. So for Paul then, such carelessness before the sacrament triggers divine judgments, or even sickness and death. I mean, these are strong words. How about the phrase, examine yourself? Self-examination, my dear friends, should always precede communion. Why? Well, the purpose is to avoid an unworthy reception of the sacrament. Certainly, Paul's teaching here implies a close connection between the Eucharist and reconciliation. If you were to go into John chapter 20, verses 23 and following, you see our Lord conferring the authority of the sacrament of confession upon the apostles. So we are to, what does Paul say, discern the body, which as the commentaries speak to is probably a wordplay on the term body, which of course refers to the Eucharistic body of Christ and to the ecclesial body of Christ made up of believers united to him. So we are made to see that recognizing Jesus in the sacrament is thus coupled with recognizing him in our spiritual brothers and sisters. Okay, I know the person who had sent me the question wanted me to engage more specifically why Paul was saying what he said in verses 27 to 32. So uh, indeed, it was important to speak to uh, what Paul was intending to mean there. And as I've talked about in the past, and we'll continue to talk about it in the future, self-examination is so important uh, before we receive the Eucharist, because not only is it about what you do not want to profane, 
Um, oh, by the way, just footnote, the word profane from the Latin profanum literally means outside the temple. And that, isn't that interesting? Um, so it's just not about what you don't want to profane, but at the same time to come to a deeper understanding of what you are receiving so that your relationship with Jesus Christ, most especially in the Eucharist, might have you going deeper. Huh? So important. All right. With that, let us jump into our readings. And as I noted off the top, I do plan on reading the first reading. So if you have your Bibles out there, if you want to turn to the book of Exodus, chapter 16, verses 2 to 4, we read, The whole congregation of the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The sons of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the pots of meat, when we ate bread to the full? For you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them whether or not they will walk in my instruction. So that was verses 2 to 4. We also have verses 12 to 15. Verse 12 and following reads, I have heard the grumblings of the sons of Israel. Speak to them, saying, At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God. So it came about at evening that the quails came up and covered the camp, and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the layer of dew evaporated, behold, on the surface of the wilderness there was a fine flake-like thing, fine as the frost on the ground. When the sons of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread which the Lord has given you to eat. And of course, the passage that comes to us for a gospel reading is in John chapter 6, verses 24 to 35, where we continue to read from this great uh, chapter that has us focusing on the Eucharist. Again, this is verse 24 and following. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the small boats and came to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered them and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, seek me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him the Father, God, has set his seal. Therefore they said to him, What shall we do, so that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you may believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, What then do you do for a sign, so that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread out of heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, It is not Moses who has given you the bread out of heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread out of heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, always give us this bread. 
Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. Amen. You know, when you read that first passage, you can certainly understand God's frustration with his people. Huh? I mean, the God of Israel has just delivered his people from slavery and has set them on the way to their promised land, right? Yet, after crossing the Red Sea and celebrating their victory, the first recorded action in Sinai proves to be what? But grumbling and dissatisfaction. First, over the bitter water at Mara, and then more complaining and, and nostalgic longing for the flesh pots in the land of Egypt, where they quote-unquote had their fill, right? I don't know about you. It's easy to be critical of the sons of Israel and the faithful people in, in their grumbling and whatnot. But the reality is, my friends, how many times does God do something extraordinary in our life and not soon thereafter do we find ourselves grumbling? Do we find ourselves uh, dissatisfied with what God does? It's always good to be present, if you will, to the reality that these Israelites are not a whole lot different than we are, huh? So you have this first reading, and into this setting of ingratitude and lamentation, God rains down bread from heaven and quail for their food. The Exodus passage contrasts the non-believer, the one who grumbles that the manna and quail are, are meager nourishment, with who? But the believer who sees these as God's generous gifts to the hungry. In today's gospel, we are given a different kind of food. Because today's gospel, the gospel that follows the miraculous multiplication of loaves that we talked about last week, has Jesus saying what? Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me, not because you saw signs which endures to eternal life, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. And then our Lord's hearers continue the conversation huh, and ask him, what must we do to perform the works of God? And Jesus responds, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. My dear friends, it is an exhortation to have faith in the Son of Man, in the giver of the food that does not perish. Why? Certainly we need to do whatever we can to help those who are without in their material need. But what are we doing to hand on the food that is everlasting? Without faith in him whom the Father sent, it is not possible, my dear friends, to recognize and accept this gift which does not pass away, this gift of faith. Clearly, the miraculous multiplication of the loaves had not yet evoked the expected response of faith in those who had been eyewitnesses of that event. They wanted a new sign. And here again, there's a reason why I read that first reading for us today. Does this not echo that story, those grumblings, 
Uh, that lack of faith, that lack of trust, that lack of trust. Can we not find that in our own life? I mean, the message, my dear friends, is loud and clear. Uh, we need to pray for an increase in faith, and in doing so, enter into that most concrete act and virtue of faith, which is trust. So important. Okay, so they wanted a new sign, right? <laughs> what do we read? Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe? Isn't that startling? I mean, let me read that again. Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe? But dear friends, we didn't have it in today's reading, but as I just noted, our Lord just took five barley loaves and two fish and fed 5,000 people, and they're asking for a sign. What is this? But a profound lack of faith. What work do you perform, they ask? <laughs> I mean, it's startling. Our fathers ate the man in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. I think our Lord knew what they were going to say there, huh? Because of his great response. I mean, the disciples gathered around Jesus expecting a sign like the manna, which their ancestors had eaten in the desert. But what does Jesus do? He responds to them with an exhortation for them to expect something more than a mere repetition of the miracle of the manna, to expect a different kind of food. What does he say? It was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven. It's interesting, that correction there. Subtle, but very important. Because why? Jesus says why. My Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. My dear friends, along with physical hunger, there is within each and every one of us another kind of hunger, a more basic hunger, which cannot be satisfied by ordinary food. It is a hunger. It is an ache. It is a desire. It is a yearning for eternity nostalgia for God. The sign of the manna was the proclamation of the coming of Christ who was to satisfy this ache, this hunger for eternity by himself becoming the living bread, that bread which gives life to the world. What is so startling about our Lord's remarks in this discourse is that he is not claiming to be another Moses or another messenger in a long line of human messengers or human prophets. In giving us the bread of life, Jesus does not offer temporary nourishment because that's the best that any other prophet could have done. What does he give us? The eternal bread of his word, that which will not pass away. The eternal bread of his very flesh that will not pass pass away. It will nourish and give life forever. Jesus is this bread, and in offering to share it with us, he calls us to have faith in him. There's a reason, my dear friends, why I opened up with a response to 1 Corinthians 11, because it is about having faith in the body of Christ, in the blood of Christ, in the true nourishment that lasts forever. That indeed, that consecrated host in the words of the institution of the Eucharist are transformed into the body, blood, soul, and divinity. 
Jesus invites us to what? Come to him, believe in him, look upon him, be drawn to him, hear him, learn of him. All of these action words, all of these verbs that we read from John chapter 6, verses 36 to 45, calls us into action, right? Come, believe, look, be drawn, hear, learn. Our faith needs to be active, and it is activated by the very gift of faith in God. Okay, so those who heard Jesus ask him to fulfill what had been proclaimed by the sign of the manna, perhaps without being conscious of how far the request would go, Lord, give us this bread always. What an astounding request. Give us this bread always to be in the presence of our Lord. Of course, you want that presence to stay with you. (laughs) What did Peter say? Where else can we possibly go? How generous and how amazing is Christ's response and fulfillment to that request. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall not hunger and he who believes in me shall never thirst. My dear friends, we are not only invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb, we are called to feast. And in feasting at the supper table, come to realize the beauty of the gift that is the person of Jesus Christ on the cross and at the same time, this wonderful and glorious call we have to not only receive him, but proclaim him to the world and doing so in both word and deed. And oh, by the way, my dear friends, uh, speaking to the Eucharist and the language of the supper is quite intentional. Why? Well, what do you read in the book of Revelation, uh, chapter 19, verse 7 and following? Uh, Pay close attention. This is rich. This is John the Evangelist writing. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to be clothed with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Amen. And so this is why we see Christ and the church being forever united in a covenant of marital love, a covenant that is sealed in the Eucharistic blood of Jesus Christ. When we receive him and he enters into us, indeed, we enter into a marital union with our Lord. Uh, Amen to that. Okay, I'm uh, looking up at the clock and uh, we're getting close to our time. And, you know, I wanted to uh, wrap up with with a prayer here that I pulled offline. I was uh, praying this recently and... uh, It is a prayer to the Eucharistic heart of Jesus. So we will close with this. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Eucharistic heart of Jesus, gracious companion of our exile, I adore thee. Eucharistic heart of Jesus, lonely heart, humiliated heart, abandoned heart, forgotten heart, despised heart, outraged heart, heart ignored by men, heart which loves our own hearts, heart pleading for our love, heart so patient, heart so patient and waiting for us, heart so eager to listen to our prayers, 
heart, so anxious for our requests, heart, unending source of new graces, heart, so silent, yet so desiring to speak to our souls, heart, welcome refuge of the hidden life, heart, teacher of the light, <clears throat> teacher of the secrets of union with God, heart of him who sleeps but watches always, Eucharistic heart of Jesus, have mercy on us. Jesus, victim, I desire to comfort thee. I unite myself to thee. I offer myself in union with thee. I regard myself as nothing in thy presence. I long to forget myself in order to think only of thee, to be, to be despised and forgotten for love of thee. I have no desire to be understood or loved by anyone but thee. I will keep silent in order to listen to thee, and I will abandon myself in order to lose myself in thee. Grant that I may thus satisfy thy thirst for my salvation, thy burning thirst for my holiness, and that once purified I may give thee a sincere and pure love. I am anxious not to tire thee further with waiting. Take me, I hand myself over to thee. I give thee all my actions, my mind to be enlightened, my heart to be directed, my will to be stabilized, my wretchedness to be relieved, my soul and body to be nourished by thee. Eucharistic heart of my Savior, whose blood is the life of my soul, may I myself cease to live and thou alone live in thee. And with that, all glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 6.30 p.m. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.